one more time and finish where we started last time on the selection of the king. This is part two, the selection of the king. And I want to read to you from verse 17 in 1 Samuel chapter 10. Thereafter Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah. And he said to the sons of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought Israel up from Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the power of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But you have today rejected your God, who delivers you from all your calamities and your distresses. Yet you have said no, set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. Thus Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. Then he brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its families, and the Matrite family was taken, and Saul the son of Kish was taken. And when they looked for him, he could not be found. Therefore they inquired further of the Lord, Has the man come here yet? So the Lord said, Behold, he is hiding himself by the baggage. So they ran and took him from there, and when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? Surely there is no one like him among all the people. So all the people shouted and said, Long live the king. Then Samuel told the people the ordinances of the kingdom, and he wrote them in the book, and he placed it before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, each one to his house. Saul also went to his house at Gibeah, and the valiant men whose hearts God had touched, went with him. But certain worthless men said, How can this one deliver us? And they despised him, and they did not bring him any present. But he kept silent. This is the word of the Lord. Normally, when a minister is called to a church, it's a very exciting event because it's the culmination of searching, sifting through MIFs, ministerial information forms. It's the culmination of listening to sermons and interviews. And if y'all want to know about, I think I got interviewed eight or 20 different times compared to normal for the mission work, right? It's more than normal, but it's really not 20. It's a little exaggeration, but there was, there's a lot more. And so there's interviews, and there's prayers by the search committee, and there's prayers by the church. And following all of that, the presbytery uh, takes the man who's called, and they they examine him for his fitness uh, to the circumstances he's coming to. And once all this red tape is done, there's a date set, a time and place is set for the installation of the new minister. The service of installation is a called presbytery meeting. It's a worship service. The men come, the elders come, the ministers come, and the church, the people who call the minister, are there. The moderator of the presbytery leads the service. There's hymns, there are prayers, and there's a sermon. And once that's all done, the minister is called up, and he takes vows to uh, become the minister in the church. After that, after he takes his vows... There's a charge to the minister, there's a, char- there's a sermon, a charge or sermon to the church, and then the new minister gets to raise his hands and he pronounces the benediction for the first time. 
And, of course, that's, if that's an installation of a, a pastor who's already been a minister, he does the benediction as well. But this is a great time of celebration. And we remember these things. We don't have tons of them, but we do remember them. But in 1773, a grievous injustice occurred in the Church of England concerning this normal procedure. The General Assembly in those days had the power to impose upon a congregation a minister that they did not want. And they also had the power to force the presbytery to install this minister that they did not want to install. The General Assembly ordered the presbytery to install a Mr. David Thompson as a minister in a parish near Sterling. The moderator of the presbytery was named Mr. Robert Finley. And at this time, when everybody would expect all the I's to be dotted and all the T's to be crossed, Mr. Finley, he did something out of the ordinary. He said that he was there to do what the General Assembly wanted him to do, which was to place this man in a pulpit. But then he said this. He told Mr. Thompson, he told him that 600 heads of families, as well as all the elders except one in the church, had opposed his being installed in this pulpit. And then he said this to the man. He said to Mr. Thompson, he said, Give it up, man. Back down from this installation, you're not a good fit. And Mr. Thompson said this quietly to Mr. Finley, Obey the orders of your superiors. And then without any normal proceeding, the moderator, Mr. Finley, said, I, as moderator of the Presbytery of Sterling, admit you, Mr. David Thompson, to be the minister of this parish in the true sense and spirit of the late sentence of the General Assembly, and you are hereby admitted accordingly. They sang a few lines of a psalm, and he dismissed them. No benediction, no prayer. They sang a few lines of a psalm, and he dismissed the congregation. You just don't do that at one of these meetings, do you, Mr. Mr. Brack, Pastor Brack? You just don't do that. You dot all the I's. You cross all the T's. But this man acted like Samuel did in this day. This man didn't do what was, quote, fashionable. He did what was right, and he told the man not to take the pulpit. And this is exactly what Samuel did to Israel on this day. He would not be fashionable. He would say what is right. He told the people of Israel, give it up, man. <laughs> Don't continue with ch choosing a man to be the king. Go back to the invisible king, God himself. Present yourselves to the Lord as living sacrifices to do his will. Do not present yourselves for the selection of a human king. This is the first thing we see in the selection of the king. Samuel rebuked Israel. The second thing we saw last time was this. The Lord selected him. And how did the Lord select him? Remember, he called for them to have a, a, a solemn assembly. And it's an unsettling thing. Remember, the last time they had a solemn assembly, somebody was chosen out of all the tribes and then punished by stoning him to death. Remember, it was Achan. And so here we are, we're having here, uh, it says, Thereafter Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah. It's a serious thing. Is a king being selected or is somebody being punished? Well, I think it's both. I think God is selecting a king, and I think God is going to use this king in the end to punish them. They are going to get a king, and that's a good thing, and God is choosing him. But also in the end, this one that they have chosen, this man after 
man's own heart, he will be coming back to bite them. Well, the third thing the selection of the king consisted of is this, the Lord's revelation. And here's the question. Why is Saul hiding? Have you ever thought about that? Now, I remember when I was growing up, I can tell you who preached the sermon, and I can tell you what he said. He said that Saul's hiding because he's humble. That's Matthew Henry says Saul is hiding because he's humble. Some people say that Saul is hiding because he's afraid of being judged. But this is what William Blakey says. Saul is hiding because he's skulking. Skulking in the baggage. I love that. If if I find a word like that, I'm going to use it. Because you won't forget it. Skulking among the baggage. He's shrinking back from his responsibility. He knows he's been called to be the king. And he's hiding in the baggage. I think this is just another ill omen about Saul. Remember in chapter 10 earlier, when the Spirit of God came upon him, he was to do what was at hand. And he didn't do what he should have done, I think. Now this is debatable, but I think when the Spirit of God came upon him, he was to go and fight against that Philistine outpost and get them out of Dodge. And he didn't do it. And here we find Saul, another ill omen. Instead of stepping up to the plate and say, in humility, Lord, here I am, send me. He's skulking. He's shrinking back among the baggage. He's not going to do what he's responsible to do. Do we find ourselves at times skulking among the stuff? Probably never asked yourself that. Are you hiding yourselves in the midst of the baggage to forget what you are responsible to be doing? Each one of us has divine duties. God calls men to be husbands and parents single men to go do their jobs. He calls us to be employees, employers. He calls some to be deacons and some to be elders. Are we skulking by the baggage and forgetting our responsibilities? Church members, where are you? You take vows to worship God. You take vows to participate in this worship. You take vows to nurture covenant children to pray for them and to love them and to teach them. These people are asking you these questions tonight. Where are you? Where are you? Are you being responsible? Mom, where are you? Are you plugged in to God? Are you plugged in to family? Are you teaching your children to walk with God and love God? Or are you plugged in and back there among the iPad? Are you back there among the TV sets and staying away from the responsibilities to which you've been called. Your children are looking for you. Your children are looking for you. Are you shrinking back or are you doing what you're responsible to be doing? We can ask the same questions of fathers. You have responsibilities, but where are you? I'm asking myself this. Where are you, Mark Wheat? Are you skulking among the baggage? Dad, your children are looking for you to be their father. One of my friends, uh, several years ago, I'll never forget this conversation. He told me, he said, I'm just so fed up with my kid. I'm so fed up with my son. I just told him, I said, do whatever you want. Do whatever you want. I'm done with you. Do whatever you want. He said his son walked away and he went into his office. 
And then he said a few minutes later, his son came in and said these words. He said, Dad, you can't give up on me. You've got to discipline me. Where are you, Dad? <laughs> You've got to fulfill your duties to me before God. So, dads, where are, where are we? Are we skulking among the baggage or are we fulfilling our responsibilities? I got some kids in here. I got my kids in here. So here's the question. Young people, my young, my young people, um, where are you? Where are you? Are you ready to fulfill responsibilities that are in front of you? Responsibility awaits you. Now, one of the songs, and I think my, I don't know if y'all remember this when I was a trainer, but you know, I'll tell y'all this. When I was eight, for eight years, I never listened to any radio station at all. And I thought, okay, I don't have to worry about those, those songs, that whole set of songs. But when I became a trainer, I had eight, 10 years of being in the gym, so I got all caught up. Here's one of the songs that I learned while I was in the gym. Responsibility. What's that? Responsibility. Not quite yet. Responsibility. I don't want to think about it. Did y'all get that? What is it? Oh, <laughs> not yet. I don't even want to think about it. But life is responsibility. It's all responsibility. And even as young people, we have to learn in the small things. We have to learn in the mundane things. In fact, that's something that we all have to do, right? Are we willing to do mundane things? The preacher in Ecclesiastes writes, It's good for you as a young person to bear the yoke. And then he says this, Whatever your hand finds to do, listen to this, Evan, listen to this. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Do it with all your might. All of life is work. It's reps. It's the next day. It's the next class. It's the next discipline. It's the next 50-yard sprint. It's the next book that you read. It's the next paper that you write. It's, the it's learning how to feed on the Word of God week after week. It's learning how to walk with God. It's learning how to be in a family. It's learning how to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. It's learning to be a person who relies on Jesus Christ. It's not shrinking back. It's not bumming around at the mall. It's not being on a device every second. It's saying with the Apostle Paul, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. But where is Saul? He's skulking. He's skulking among the baggage. And how are the people going to find him? Did you see how they found him? The Lord's going to have to tell them where he is. <laughs> the Lord not only selects them, the king, with lots, but then the people are saying, Has the man come here yet? And the Lord says, Behold, he's hiding himself by the baggage. How dependent is Israel on the Lord? They can't choose him. They can't even find him without the Lord. I think it's sort of a subtle way of God saying, Oh yeah, you don't think that you don't need me? You think that you don't need me? You think you don't need me as an invisible king? You can't even find the one who's visible apart from me. You and I, we're so dependent on the Lord, but sometimes don't we think we graduate? I don't think I need to depend quite as much on the Lord. Not now, I've kind of graduated. And then you lose your keys. 
And so you go and you look for your keys, and then what do you do? <laughs> you say, oh, Lord, where are my keys? Jesus says, I'm the vine, and you're the branches. If, if, if anyone abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit apart from me. You can do nothing. Don't ever think that you've graduated. Well, fourth, the selection of the king consists of the king's exhibition. So they know where he is now. They know he's by the baggage. And so they run and they bring him in. In verse 23 it says, And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from the shoulders upward. Verse 24, Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? Surely there is no one like him among all the people. He is exactly what they wanted. Look at him. He's head and shoulders above the rest. There's no one like him. This is the second time Saul's physical appearance has been mentioned. We heard it back in chapter 9, verse 2, where he's head and shoulders above the rest. And here it's mentioned again. This is a man who's handsome. He's got plenty of bone, plenty of bicep, plenty of muscle. But the question is, what about his heart? That's the question. These people are so focused on the outward. They're so focused on having a person who's head and shoulders above the rest, who can go out and fight their battles for them like a Goliath, and they forgot about the spiritual things. And so they, they begin to cry out, long live the king, but they've forgotten about the heart. In every one of your decisions in your life, you're going to run into these two questions you need to be asking. What does it look like and what is on the inside? But don't forget that second one. What is on the inside? I don't know, many of you, does anybody here know who Phil Donahue is? <laughs> I know who Phil Donahue is. When I remember I was like, 10 years old, I saw him on TV. He was like one of the first TV shows ever. And so he had a bunch of guys who were bodybuilders, and they were all on TV. And, you know, I won't tell you what they wear, but you know what they wear. And so there's bodybuilders on TV, and he says, show us what these muscles can do. And these guys begin to strike their poses and do their poses. And he says, you're not getting the question right. I'm asking you what they can do. I'm not asking you to show me what they look like. You with me? And they said, show me what they can do. And he started posing again. He says, you're still missing the point. That's what they look like. What can they do? And the question we have to ask is not just what it looks like, but what's on the inside? What's the motivation of our hearts when we look for somebody to be a king or a president or a, a spouse one day? David is the man after God's own heart, but Saul is the king after man's own heart. It seems to me that the author of 1 Samuel would impress upon us that we must look, as we make our choices, we must look on the inside. We must look for faith. We must look for humility. We must look for godliness. And we must learn this lesson, lest we, one commentator says, lest we choose a Saul or, or we choose a Saulette. <laughs> so as we begin to make our decisions so that we do not go the wrong direction, we must constantly remember to place God's Word in front of us. That was a great conversation yesterday with the men because one of the things we were saying is keep your mind on the Scripture so any deviation away from what is straight a straight line, you can be brought back onto the straight line. And even Samuel himself made a mistake. Even Samuel had to be corrected by God when he goes out in 1 Samuel 16. Remember the story? He says, we're going to go out and anoint a new, new king. 
<laughs> he goes, and all the sons of Jesse come forward, and Eliab comes forward. And this is what Samuel says. Surely this is the Lord's anointed, for he is handsome and tall. <laughs> and then the Lord checks the prophet and says, I've rejected him. The Lord does not look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So always keep your heart freshly in the Word of God so that you can be looking on those spiritual things as well as those outward. Because eventually we're going to have a, a really great king named David. He's ruddy and handsome in form and appearance. So God's not unhappy with form and appearance, but we do need to look at the heart. Well, fifth, the selection of the king consists of the kingdom ordinances. So Samuel here, he takes out his pen. And he's going to explain the kingdom regulations. We're told here that he writes down the ordinances. He writes down the regulations for the king. He's highlighting here the authority of the law of God over the king so that the king is reigned in and can't do whatever the king pleases. This is entirely unheard of among the kings of the nations around them. Now, we've said this many times, right? Here we are again. How does the king operate? The king operates under the word of God. He does not get to do whatever he wants. He must be subject to God's law and to the word of God as it comes through Samuel, the prophet. With this set of regulations set down by Samuel, God is seeking to secure a safe transition to this new form of government from, king, from judges to kings. These regulations create a barrier against tyranny. Remember what we heard in 1 Samuel chapter 8. When God tells the people that they choose a king, if they choose a king, they're going to choose a person who's going to be a taker. He's going to take your sons and put them in front of your chariots. He's going to take your daughters and make them servants. And he's going to tax the daylights out of you. And so what God does here as Samuel takes up his pen, he writes down these regulations to protect the king from himself and to protect the people from the king's tyranny. So he writes it all down. And we could go and we could look at Deuteronomy because there's surely he wrote down many things from Deuteronomy 17. I won't give you everything that's there, but let me give you just a, a little snapshot. The king is not to accumulate treasures or wives. The king is not to live a life of luxury. The king is to be devoted to the law of God. He's actually to make a copy of the word for himself and carry it around and remind himself always to be humble under the word of God and never to be arrogant. And if the king operates according to these rules, the kingdom will be successful and the people will be full of joy. So the word of God is binding over even the king. The word of God is binding over all the monarchs. The Word of God is binding over every president, over every person who sits in the House of Representatives, over every police officer, over every judge, even over you and me. No one is excluded. Well, how are we to understand this for ourselves? Well, let me give you a short snapshot of it. The law of God shows us our sin. The law of God shows us that we're sinners. The law of God, the Bible tells us in Galatians, the end of the law is Jesus Christ. And as we see our sins by the law, we see Jesus Christ at the end of the law who fulfilled the law perfectly where we could not. And when we put our faith and trust in Him, we enter into the kingdom of God. But what then? 
What happens to the law then? Do we just say, okay, I'm done with the law? No, now the law becomes the map that we use to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. The questions in the shorter catechism say, what is God given to direct us that we may glorify and enjoy Him? And the word, and we hear from the catechism that we may glorify and enjoy Him. God gives us the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments for that purpose. And so we take the law of God that led us to a Savior, and now we take the law of God and use it as our map to live according to His will. To the world, God's regulations, His Word appears to be restrictive. It appears to be a barrier to fun. But actually, these laws are a barrier against harm to us. A barrier against all kinds of injuries that can happen to our souls and to our bodies even. Just take the law of gravity. <laughs> you go and break that one three, three stories up, you're going to be hurt. You're going to be injured. That's my favorite illustration. But that is true about every one of these laws. If you break one of these laws, it's a, it's, you're opening yourself up to injury, and you will be hurt. But if you obey these laws, then you will be free, and you will be I mean, you will live in freedom. The world defines freedom to mean freedom from all restraint, where real freedom always happens inside responsible barriers, according to laws. Who plays baseball without a fence? Now, sometimes you can. Who plays football if you don't have 55 yards across from one side to side and 100 yards down and back? I mean, you, you, have to, you play games in... In, you know, there's freedom that happens within boundaries. And Jesus says this person who sins is a slave of sin. And Jesus says, if you obey my word, then you are set, what? Free. Free. So, let me end this point by saying this. The word of God is your guide. It's your map to enjoying God and glorifying God. If you go around Houston, what do you have to do? Oh, I left my phone over there. Let's act like this is my phone. So if you're going to drive around using, you have to get your phone out and you have to get your maps out and you have to hit the button. Now, maybe you learn how to get here from, like, you probably know how to get here without a map yet, but I don't. I don't even know how to get around Dwight's neighborhood without maps. And so the other night I took a wrong turn to go back and get my billfold and I had to hit maps and I was like 0.2 miles from him. It was dark and I didn't know where I was. If you open up the Bible and, it, and turn on the Bible, then you will not be lost and you will know where you're going. It is our maps to help us to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Well, one more point. The selection of the king consists of the king's reception. This is wonderful. <laughs> There's something here for all of us. And I hope we go home with this on our minds. There's two ways the king was received. He was sympathetically received and he was scornfully rejected. In verse 26, Saul received a sympathetic reception by some valiant men. I want you to think about Saul. At this time, there's no palace. There's no purple garments. There's no crown. There's none of these things in place. Saul goes home. He goes home by himself. He's been skulking. He's been shrinking back from his responsibility. It's been a stressful day. But notice what the Lord does. The Lord touches hearts of valiant men. That's worth, that's worth, just go read it. The Lord touches, Saul went to his house at Gibeah, verse 26, 
and the valiant men whose hearts God had touched went with him. So here's our guy. He's kind of shrinking back. But God was ready to encourage our guy, encourage his choice. And he sent these men home with him to shoulder the load with him. This is sympathetic reception. Think about Jesus. When he came to the earth, got 12 guys to walk around with him and do his work with him. We would call that sympathetic reception. The Lord has touched many hearts in this place to do the work of the kingdom. Many of you leave things undone in your homes. Maybe your fence isn't fixed. Maybe your carpet is not replaced. Maybe your yard is brown instead of green because you have been spending time up here. Maybe the Lord has touched your heart to put this place together. Maybe the Lord has touched your heart to take this place apart. Maybe the Lord has touched your heart to lead a Bible study. But it's all you do it because God has touched your heart. I remember one day that I was uh, in Houston, and it was in the morning, and somebody had scribbled a bunch of profanity on our, our church sign. So I was out there with soap and with rags, and I was washing, trying to wash it off. And the rich lines came up, and they said, you need to stop doing that. And I said, well, who's going to do it? Oh, the Lord's raised us up to do it. <laughs> you go back in and you work on that. I said, I said okay. <laughs> Why do they do these things? Why do we do what we do? It's because the Lord touches our hearts. Well, then also there was a scornful rejection. And this speaks of those certain worthless men who came to Saul and said, how can this one deliver us? How can this Benjamite from the country who doesn't know God, how can this fellow save us? Now this may seem like no big deal because this is Saul. He's a Benjamite bumpkin. But you need to remember something. Who chose him? That's the important part. Later on, you remember how David won't even touch him? Who chose him? And to reject Saul, this first king of Israel, was to reject the one who chose him. And so as we come to the conclusion tonight, when you see the king, the king causes division. There are those who receive him sympathetically, and there are those who receive him scornfully. And if this is true of Saul, how much more is it of Israel's final king, Jesus Christ? When Jesus comes, he says he comes not to bring peace but a sword. And there are those who receive him, and there are those who reject him. Here's the question. Are you receiving him tonight, or are you rejecting him? Has the Lord touched your hearts to accompany the king, to walk with him, and to go with him? Or has the, Lord, has the Lord not touched your hearts, and do you find yourself saying, How can this fellow save me? Oh, that the Holy Spirit might touch your hearts, and that you might say, Whom have I in heaven but thee? Besides thee, I desire nothing at all. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for allowing us, calling us into this place tonight. We thank you for this wonderful few words we find here at the end of this passage. You touched their hearts. And Father, I pray that you continue to touch our hearts, not just once, but all the time, with your word and by your spirit. You would touch our hearts 
to talk to one another, that you would touch our hearts to share with one another, to give and to live in this kingdom with each other. Maybe we leave our carpet un, uh, not vacuumed, or maybe we need some new carpet, but we spend our money on the kingdom of God instead. Lord, you are the one who does these things in our lives, who uses us to, to go over to Cornerstone and work or, or to go over to a person's house who has a great need, and we leave many of our things undone that we might serve you in your kingdom. We pray, Lord, that you will use us this week. We've, we've prayed over many things. Many things are on our plates this week. And so we pray for your power and for your strength to accomplish many of these things. We give you all the glory and all the praise as we go about your kingdom business this week. Strengthen us now and help us to, to move home safely in our cars. We'll give you all the praise and all the glory. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.